Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology. Because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. You know, your context matters. Your context in your life, it, it matters. Because you've been placed for such a time as this. Like intentionally. Think think about that. Did you control when you were born? Did you control where you were born? Did you control whether or not you were born in the pandemic era? No. You were placed here for a reason. You were placed here with a purpose. You were placed here for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, "We, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You've been created for good works. You've been created for such a time as, as this. You know, a number of years ago, I was working in a hospital in Washington, and I loved, I loved being a part of this hospital there because it was so innovative. They were constantly driving towards growth, constantly driving to, to get better, to serve better, to love better, to help the, the healing process go better. And I got to be a part of this, this movement within this hospital where it went from this little, little hospital, little eight-story old hospital into this multi-tower, beautiful thing. And it was incredible to be a part of it. But along with those changes, along with that growth, came a number of different changes. Uh, different, different programs, different directors, different, uh, different regulations, different training, and, and, and all of this. And along with that came changes to the role that I was working in. I was working in patient transport, bringing patients from point A to point B within the hospital, and you think about that whole process that's required to make that happen, right? There has to be a patient in need. There has to be someone overseeing that patient, caring for that patient, knowing where they need to go. They need to communicate where they're at and where they need to go, and then they need to get my team to uh, that information so that we can get there. And so we had just put in a brand new uh, system to make all of this take place. And one day I walk in for one of my 10 or 12 hour shifts and uh, apparently the system is down. No one tells me that, just the system's down. Oh, okay, and I'm just walking in like, what in the world is going on? Like how do I make sense of, of this chaos? I just slowly entered in and the pressure was unreal. 
right? You've got the need of patients. You, you've got nurses calling. You've, you've got aides calling. You've got our house supervisor calling. You've got the ER calling. You've got surgery calling. And they're all saying, like, lives are depending on this. If this patient doesn't get to pre-op, then the people in, in OR can't get, into the, can't get into post-op and they can't get back to the... Everything's getting backed up. We may have to go on diversion. We may have to have uh, people stop coming here. This needs to be fixed. And it was disorienting. And for me, I was just trying to make sense. Like, how, how, do, how do I help? I'm just coming in and just telephones are ringing off the hook. People are running everywhere. There's no communication to me. I have no idea what's going on. And then someone tells me, oh, yeah, teletracking is down. <laughs> oh, the, the system's down. And so here's what's happening. And so I begin to understand the context in which I am trying to function. Knowing the context for what is happening, understanding what's happening around us, is essential for us to know what we are supposed to be doing and how, are, how we are supposed to be doing it. Your context, your context matters. And that same thing happens in our lives, and it matters in our, our lives as well. Uh, think about like getting home from just a nutso week. It's like going crazy and you're just finally stepping back. It's the weekend. You're like, dude, what's going on? <laughs> is this really the life that I'm, I'm a part of right now? This is, this is crazy. I just don't understand. And we're disheartened. We're disoriented. We're distracted. And as we do here at Rise Church, we're going to seek to answer this question because this, this isn't just an illustration. This is like, this is life, y'all. This is life. And so as we do here at Rise, we're going to answer this question with a question of our own, and that is, what does the Bible say about that? Amen. What does the Bible say about that? And so we're going to enter into a new series entitled, The End, Making Sense of the Times That We Live In. Just processing what the Bible would say about this time period in which we are living and how we ought to live in it. Now, I know this is a deep subject, and I'll say one of those trigger words for church, which I try to do every Sunday, um, eschatology. End times. The end. Now, I'm not going to even come close to touching on and communicating everything that needs to be communicated that should be communicated. Um, I'm going to do my best to address the most important things and the most relevant things that are for, for us here at Rise Church, here in our community, here in our region. I'm going to do my best to communicate those things. We will be visiting some, big word, eschatological thoughts, acknowledging this, that there are a number of beliefs about the way these things will take place. You got pre-trib, you got post-trib, you've got rapture, you've got all, all of these types of things. And let me tell you this, let me just point out a fact. We will not all agree. We're not going to all agree on every single one of these little details. And I think that's something that we ought to get used to, because by the time we get to heaven, we're going to look around, and there's going to be a lot of people who don't see everything that we see in the exact same way. In fact... If you look around and you find that everybody has the exact same belief as you do in every single topic, that's probably a cult. 
Probably. That's not what we're doing here. So we may all have some differing, differing beliefs. But there are some key things as Christians, as followers of Jesus within Christian orthodoxy that we should focus on. But when it comes to looking at the end times in eschatology, we ought to be those who are focused with our eyes fixed on first and foremost and utmost and primarily, not upon the end of all things, the destruction of all things, but with our eyes upon him who is in all and through all. That is, that is Jesus. Because listen, when you start to form a theology around something that is not Jesus, that becomes to be your idol. Okay, and so often when we begin to study into end times, we make this idol out of all of the destruction. It's all about the destruction. It's all about everything burning. It's all, right? We get to this place and we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I had this vision of, of what the Lord uh, had called me to do this morning. And it was of that fairy tale story of John Revere. And I, I know there's like all of all different stories and ideas of, of uh, how this whole thing took place. But the one that I remember growing up with was when he comes in on a horse riding in. <laughs> right? The British are coming! The British are coming! The British are coming! The British are coming! And I almost brought my kid's little rocking horse, but it wasn't going to do the trick for me. But I wanted to come in here on that horse and just let you know, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Amen. Jesus is coming. And that should do something inside of you. That should shape your perspective in the time that, that we live in. Jesus is, is coming. Um, I, I, as I'm processing, I, I think it's important for us to get into uh, a scriptural understanding of how the end times are communicated within the scripture. And I think, at least the way I do, I go back to my own era. Um, and so I go back to uh, 1986 when I was born. Uh, and then I go a couple years past that, back to 84, where, uh, yeah, ages ago. <laughs> Not so long. And this movie that James Cameron had released, it featured this jacked Austrian man. And he was like this cyborg going back in time. And uh, the movie, of course, being Terminator. And if you know this movie, then you'll know the line and you'll know the, the title of the message this morning. So go ahead and say it with me. It's, I'll be back. <laughs> It's getting in this, this mindset and this understanding that this, this was what Jesus communicated to his, his disciples and to us, that I will be back. But we gotta, we got to recognize that, uh, of course, as Arnold may have made it popular in my day, he, he was a biter and he bit it off of Jesus because <laughs> Jesus said it the best. I'll, I'll be back. And it, in these words, Jesus was communicating a promise. And if Jesus makes a promise, you know he's going to be good on it. And this promise would administer comfort for the right here and the right now, and hope for the future. Comfort for right here, right now, and hope for the future. Now, in the Jewish mindset, they had had this understanding and this vision and this expectation that was built of the Messiah who was to come. 
right? This, this built upon like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies or promises that this Messiah was going to come into town he, and he's, he's going to blow the whole thing up. It's going to be awesome. He is going to take it all over. And so here's, here's this expectation. And they all began to believe that uh, this, this is Jesus. Here, here he comes. And so he comes in to, uh, into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And he's riding in on that donkey. And people are, are shouting out, Hashanah, Hashanah, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest, laying down palm branches before him, believing that this is the, this is the victory. Here it comes. It, it, it's, about, it's about to go down. And there's this expectation of this triumphant moment. But Jesus knew that the Father had other plans. Jesus knew that there was another way that things were going to go down. And so he sits down with his close friends to have the Passover meal. And then there's this sequence of remarkable events where Jesus begins to assume the role of a servant, and he is getting his outer, outer clothing out of the way, and he's grabbing a towel and a basin of water to wash their feet, right? And they didn't have their converse to walk around with. They didn't have their F-150s or whatever, right, to drive around with. They were walking everywhere, and their feet were nasty. And so this role uh, that Jesus was taking, uh, stepping into was the lowest of roles, the lowest of servanthood. And it's this example that has really just shaped, shaped my own life and will continue to, to drive my own life in the way that I view marriage and parenting and friendship and leadership and pastoring and life as a follower of, of Jesus. It's how, how low can you go? How, how low will we go? Shouldn't that be our definer? Shouldn't that be how people view us on how, how low we will go? John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you. So not a recommendation. Not, hey, this might be a good idea. By golly. By golly. <laughs> this commandment I'm giving to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. In other words, look at the way that I've loved you. Continue to watch the way that I love you. This is how you are to love others. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, you are to be known by how low you will go to serve one another. Every time you serve someone, it should be like a picture to everyone else. Oh, that's, he looks like Jesus. That's what Jesus looks like. This is what we ought to model our life after. And in the midst of this illustration and conversation, Jesus says something to the disciples that sets off this alarm, this flashing red light. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, what's the Ace Ventura sound? <laughs> this, this alarm that is going off inside of them. He says, little children, yet a little while I am I'm with you. Right? Recognizing that time where Jesus in the flesh was right there with the disciples. I'm, I'm here with you. 
you will seek me in a time to come. And just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot go. You cannot come. And so he's saying, I'm, there's going to be a time in the future where I will not physically be here like I am right now. I'm going somewhere else that you cannot come to. And so Peter says in John 13, 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answers him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterwards. So again, in this time period, think of two blocks. This first block, you can't come here. You can't get here. But there is another block. There's another period of time where you will get to come to me, where I am going. So as, as this takes place, we get to John 14, and it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We, we sang about this. Did you guys see my... You put the set together. Did you guys see my message beforehand? Okay. Funny how God works like that. That's pretty neat. John 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you there myself, and where I am, you may also be, and you know the way, uh, and you know the way to where I am, am going, right? So there's this time period, this time period where Jesus is going to go away. He's going to a place where he is going to prepare these rooms that are within the Father's house, but the disciples can't get there yeah, but there is a time where he will come, come back and he will bring the disciples to this, to this place, to these, uh, these rooms that are prepared in the Father's house. And that's the promise. I, I will be back. I will be back. And so there's, there's comfort here in the moment that this isn't for nothing. This is a time period where, where God is actually doing something, where Jesus is preparing something for his people, and we're waiting for that moment for him to come back and to bring us into, into that place. And so there's comfort for the moment and hope for the future. And Jesus promises that he's, he's going to come again soon. We see in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus has given the disciples this great commission, He's saying, I want you to look back on all of these things that we've done. Back to that moment. Remember when you were by the sea? Remember when you were off doing your thing? And I came after you. I came after you. And I, I invited you. I said, hey, follow me. Come come with me. I want to show you the ways of the kingdom. And, and then I did that. I, I showed you the ways of the kingdom of God. I, I, I empowered you. I, I, I taught about it. I gave you examples. Uh, I let you go out and then come back. And then I, I began to t teach you again. And now I'm telling you, go do that process with everyone across the, the world and teach them to do this process over and over and over and bring it all the way to Idaho Falls. And they're standing there and Jesus has prepared them for this moment. I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back. I'll be back. I'll be back. And it says in Acts 1.10, at, and while they were gazing into heaven as 
he went. Right? So they're on that hillside just watching. And put yourself in that moment watching Jesus float up into the sky and become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and smaller until you can't see him anymore. And then you're just in that moment like, that's really happening. Wow, this is, this is real. And they're just gazing, gazing off. And behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this is the promise, that there will be a physical return just as he left and he ascended into heaven, into the clouds. Jesus will again appear in the clouds, except this time he's going to get closer. And he's going to get closer, and he's going to get closer, and he's going to continue getting, getting closer. Titus 2, 11 through 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is the period of time that, that we live in. As Jesus is preparing this, these rooms for us in the Father's house, we live in a period of grace right here and right now. It's a period of invitation. It's a period of saying, God saying, come, come to me. Come on, come on. You have a chance. The, the price has been paid. All you've got to do is show up at the ticket booth and say, my price has been paid already, and you get your ticket. And you, you enter into the kingdom of God. This is the, the period in time in which we live. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. Someone say, he's coming. He's coming. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us, thank you, Lord, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I'm going to give that a clap because that's good news. Thank you, Jesus. And made us, this is who you are, a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold. Here's the promise. I'm coming back. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Don't be afraid that you're going to miss it. Don't be afraid that you're going to miss Jesus' second, second coming. Every eye will see him. He's coming back. Now, as we, as we talk about this subject, there are two questions uh, that I, I want to hit today. And the first one is this, what will Jesus' second coming be like? And the second is, what are we supposed to do until then? Those are two big questions, two big things that we ought to know the answer to. And to answer those, I want to jump into 1 Thessalonians. As Paul's writing one of his earliest letters that he's written to this church in Thessalonica. And he's hearing some feedback from them. Things are actually going really well there in Thessalonica, and, and the Thessalonians are, are, are doing quite well. They're growing in their faith. 
Um, but there are some issues. Some of them have lost some people. You guys lose anybody in this season? Mm-hmm. They've lost some people, and they didn't have a full understanding of how this the, the, the end, the return of Jesus, would affect them. What, what's, what's this going to be like? What about our brothers and sisters who have, who have passed away, even though they gave their lives to you? What, what are we, we going to do with this? How do we process this? And so Paul's bringing them some encouragement through this letter. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it says, But brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed. You've got to know this. This is essential information, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as other people do who have no hope. In other words, the way that we as followers of Jesus grieve ought to look different than those who do do not know the hope of Jesus Christ grieve. It should look different because there's a little bit different substance to it. For since we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, someone say, I believe that. I believe that. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, God is going to bring those who have died with him. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This isn't just made up. This is a word from the Lord who knows all things that we who are alive, who are left until the coming day of the Lord, that tells me that as we look forward to that date when Jesus returns, when he descends from the clouds, when he returns to earth, that there will still be people and followers of him who are alive. Who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen Asleep. In other words, the dead will rise first, and then those who are still alive will uh, meet Jesus in the clouds. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Again, this continuing to build this case that you're not going to miss it. When I hear of like an archangel screaming, right? I'm going to turn this off for a second. <laughs> a shout of victory, the trumpet blast. Zadok's got a trumpet. They're, they're pretty loud. And I think of like a heavenly trumpet. Oh, yeah. Right? There's going to be this, this momentous occasion. And as Jesus descends from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That brings me comfort. That tells me that from this moment, like right now, I've got the Holy Spirit living with me. I've got the Holy Spirit upon me, empowering me, but I get to be in the presence of Jesus. Come on. From that, that makes it all good from that point. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So let's continue to process how this all plays out. How does life into to death and to heaven, how does this whole time period play out? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 would talk about what, uh, what like 
death is 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 like, and it, it speaks of like an instant an instant thing that uh, when I am away from the body, then I am at home with the Lord. It's like a a boom, close eyes, open eyes, boom, right there in the presence of God. Now, physically, what happens though? Like, let's just continue to play this through, right? So, when we die, our spirits would leave our body, go into the presence of of the Lord, and our physical bodies go into the ground, right, to decay, become dust of the earth, just as we've been created, right, coming, coming back to these, these uh, going back to that, that, that dust. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about us getting new bodies, us getting new bodies, and so here's, here's the picture of what this, this looks like. We, we die, we our bodies go into the ground. Our spirits go into the presence of, of Jesus. That day comes, that day which, which we don't actually fully know is gonna, when that's going to happen. Jesus does return. Those who are dead in Christ, their spirits are coming before uh, the presence of Jesus there. They're giving new bodies. Uh, the, uh, the, those who are alive in Christ Get, uh, are, are raised into the sky there, there with, with Jesus and get their new flesh also. Continuing on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now pay really close attention because, because Paul gets really like artsy and really creative in this section. He begins to paint these, these pictures. And he, he says, the day of the Lord, that means the, the day that Jesus returns, is going to come like a thief in the night. And again, just think about that. Think about like being at home. Think about the thief coming in the middle of the night and, and what that's like. That's going to be something that's like unwelcome, that's going to be startling, that's going to be surprising for many. But Paul's going to differentiate the difference between followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. While people are saying, there's peace and security. This was a common phrase with, uh, pertaining to the Roman kingdom, that they would have the peace, that they would have the security. It's another way of saying, you have your peace and security in the world around you. you, you, you you've built it in, in the world around you. And for people who have done that, instead of Jesus then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But listen, let me, let me talk to you about you. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You've got something different. You've got a different knowledge. You've got a different expectation. And I'm helping you to, to come into this. This day will not be a moment of fear, but it will be a day of rejoicing for you. For you are children of light, verse 5, children of the day. You see that contrast? In the night, you can't see anything. It's, it, it's startling. You're trying to figure out where everything is. Of the day, we, we see clearly. Of the light, we, we, see, we see clearly because we're children of the day. We're not of the night or of, of darkness. So let us not sleep. In other words, this is now speaking about the life that we are living right here and now in this time period where we're awaiting Jesus Christ to come back. 
Don't be asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Again, think of the mentality. Think of this picture that he's painting for you. When you're drunken, you're, you're, you don't know what's going on, and you're just all over the place, and you can't fully make sense of everything, right? But when you're sober, you've got a crispness and a sharpness of understanding what is going on around you and a clear expectation of what is about to happen. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night in the dark. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. As followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have believed this in our heart and confessed this with our mouth, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way the Bible talks about salvation and sanctification and holiness because they're, they're all three. They're like, in the past, they're things that happen when we give our life to Jesus. We become holy. We become sanctified. We become, we become set apart. And then we go through this process where we're continuing to look, uh, continuing to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And, and, and we're continuing to grow in our sanctification. We're continuing to gain shape to look more and more like Jesus. And then one day we will reach a point where that is, is full. Because you can't actually be that full picture until you get that new flesh. There are many aspects to this. But to obtain salvation through a Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Worship team, if you would go ahead and uh, come back up for me. We've got to be aware that this is, this is what's coming. This is what's taking place. And we live in a time period where that could happen at any moment. Now, in further messages, we're going to be talking about um, some of the things that the Bible says needs to take place before Jesus comes back again. We'll get into some of that in greater detail, some of the signs of the times. But we need to be aware that this is coming. Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies to these things, surely I am coming soon. We live in the last days. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hebrews 9. 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. A second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting. Are, are we just sitting on the side of the road with our backs packed, just waiting? Or are we actively, eagerly waiting? Are our lamps full of oil? Are we worshiping Jesus on the way? Are we carrying out this great commission? Are we walking in what God has called us to walk in? So practically, how do we, how do we live until then? How do we live until that day? 
Paul says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. How are we, how are we righteous? How are we made righteous? By grace, through faith. It's a gift to us to be accepted, and we accept that by putting faith in that, saying, Jesus, you've done this, and this is who I am. Through faith. And how does our faith in Jesus affect our future? It's our hope for salvation. Jesus is coming again. He's coming back. We're not going to miss it. Just like he left, he's going to come back. And how do the righteous live? Faith, hope, and and love. We live in active service of others, seeing how low we can go, how deep into servanthood we can. How how can I serve my, my friends? How can I serve my neighbors? How can I serve those who God puts in my life? How how can I serve? Practical questions for us this morning. Do you have faith in Jesus? When we talk about Jesus coming back again, do we have faith in him? Do we believe that he did live once, that he did die, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, that he did ascend into heaven and he is coming back? Do we have have faith in that? It's as simple as this. Jesus, I believe you and I want to live for you. Show me how to do it. How often are you living out your love for others? Do you have hope in Jesus' second coming? He's coming again. And I just, I I felt like this morning, I wanted to to keep riding that horse. I wanted to keep riding that horse. And say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I want to sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder. And I'm going to hear my praises roar. I want to declare to him his goodness. I want to praise him in this day. Hey, thanks again for joining us. If you have been blessed by Rise Church, be sure to follow us and share it on your social media. You can subscribe to a podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so at risechurchid.org or send a text message with a cash amount to the number 84321. And remember that the mission field is all around you, so go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.